0: begin by opening there. It's the first book left of Psalms. There it is. I have so much to prepare. Put glasses on, put glasses off. Okay. The book of Job begins with the words, there was a man. This is a story of a human being who was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's what it says in verse 1. We are told four things about Job's character, his integrity, his treatment of others, his religion, and his morality, all in the first five verses of chapter 1. Job was blameless this speaks to his integrity. Uh, John was not, he was not sinless. He even admits to the iniquities of my youth, he says in chapter 13, verse 26. And he, and he says, my sin. He refers to my sin in chapter 14, verse 16. But the word blameless speaks of his genuineness and his authenticity. The same word is used in Joshua 24, 14, where he exhorts the people of Israel to serve God in sincerity, using the same Hebrew word for blameless. That is, to serve God with genuineness, with authenticity. Job was upright. This speaks to his treatment of others. The the trait shifts from the focus of his own integrity to the way he treats others. Uh, This is is a man who you can trust, someone who you would want to do business with because you know that he was going to treat you right. Job is one who feared God. This is, speaks to his religion. Job had a reverence for God. He bowed down and worshiped him continually. It speaks of, in verses 1 through 5, of where his, his children would gather at, at somebody's house for their birthday, and they would celebrate. They would have a, a feast. And Job, after this feast was over, would, would then, in the very early in the morning, get up and make sacrifices and pray to God because it was possible... That his kids may have sinned against God in their heart. So he wanted to cover that sin. It was his constant nature to worship God, not just something he did from time to time. Job turned away from evil. This speaks to his morality. Job was someone who repented daily, he was someone who habitually turned away from evil in his thoughts, words, and deeds. Someone that we can model after, I think. This was, it says in the book of Job, the greatest of all men in the East. Not only were his character traits to be admired, but he was also very wealthy. He had lots of livestock, land, many servants, had beautiful, lots of kids, beautiful children. So, so not only was he a good and righteous man, he lived in prosperity. It's a word we don't use much when we preach here in Psalm of Grace. This guy had it good. If this was all you knew about Job and were asked if you would like to live the life of Job, I'm sure most of us would say, yeah, sign me up. Absolutely, I'd love to live that way. But all of this was about to change. And we're going to see that in our text this morning as we begin reading in verse 6 of chapter 1. We're going to read all the way through through um, verse 10 of chapter 2. It's a lot of, a lot of text to read, but I, I guarantee you, you will not be bored. So let me, let me read God's word and then I'll pray for the preaching of his word. Verse 6, now there was a day. Who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of a sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. And the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came Yet another, and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to Scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin." with his lips. we pray. Father God, as we seek to learn from your word, Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear the truth of your word, that you are God. Lord, let this text serve us in a way that allows us to glorify you, Father. worship you Father in Jesus name amen The book of Job can often become a book where we seek um, to find answers to our questions about the suffering. Um, job suffered no doubt he suffered greatly he lost all his possessions, all his livestock, his land um, you know he, he uh, virtually lost his life. But he suffers not because of anything wrong that he did. He, he, was a, he was a great man, blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned from evil. No, he, he suffers because he's a believer. It's not uncommon for people who come to this book, Job, expecting to find relief for their own suffering. Maybe, maybe you're doing that as well. Maybe you're, you're looking for a solution to your suffering or a fix to to make it all better. And unfortunately, you're going to be disappointed. Nowhere in this book will you find the remedy for your suffering, the magic pill, so to speak. There there are no answers on how to remove your suffering. So what is the book of Job about? Well, although the main character of the book is Job himself, I mean, he's, he's the first character to be introduced. He's talked about between God and Satan. Uh, he's the one who received all of the com- calamity, you know, all his livestock, his servants, his children. He suffers uh, loathsome sores uh, from head to toe. When his friends are introduced, they primarily speak at him or to him. Uh, when, when Job speaks, he's listened to by God. And when God speaks, he's speaking to Job. And then in the end, Job is the one who is restored. So you would think that this book is about Job, but it's not. The book of Job is not about Job, but about God. The book of Job is about God, his, his character, sovereignty, justice, goodness, and his love. This book is about God, the creator of everything, the one who is God, who made all things. even He made even the Satan or the adversar- adversary who wishes to destroy Job. So what do I hope that you will come away with over the next two weeks as we look at a few chapters in the book of Job? I, I hope you come away with an understanding that the book of Job is about true worship. True worship directed at the One who is God, where we can leave our prayers and petitions. See, He deserves our worship because we are merely creatures; He alone is the Creator. I also hope you come away with a renewed understanding that although we may suffer greatly in this life, for those of us who confess Jesus as as our Savior, that. We will not suffer eternally. For we have someone who brings our everlasting relief in the form of salvation. The title of my message over the next two weeks is The Book of Job, Beyond the Suffering. Beyond the Suffering. In this first part, we'll look at the suffering of Job and his response. Beyond the Suffering. Now, before we can look at or look beyond the suffering, uh, which I hope will also help us to look beyond our own suffering, we we need to understand what Job's suffering was. Not as an exercise in dwelling on the negative, but as an important step in understanding the bad in order to appreciate the good. Now, I do want to take a minute to make myself and my intent very clear in case I haven't been clear up until now. This sermon... And the next one are not about suffering. They're not about suffering. I'm not going to talk about what you suffer, how you suffer, or how you deal with those who suffer, loved ones maybe. Um, that's, that's not what this book is primarily about. I, I don't want you to get discouraged when I say we're going to look beyond our suffering. Um, see, I, I'm married to someone who suffers greatly, so I know a lot about it even though I myself am not considered a sufferer. I know firsthand what pervasive illness does to someone's physical being, their emotional being and their spiritual being. I'm amazed on a daily basis by those who suffer and their desire to honor and glorify God. And I also see the horror and the failures and the disappointments the discouragement and the depression of those who suffer. So when I say let's let's look beyond the suffering, I'm not communicating that you need to buck up and get past it. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that God himself demands that we focus on him, that we worship him, the creator of all things. And so to look beyond the suffering is a way to do that. It's what Job does. It's what Jesus did. And it is what we are called to do as well. Christopher Ashe says in his commentary on on Job, he says this, the glory of God is more important than your or my comfort. Hmm. The glory of God is more important than your or my comfort. Comfort For some that may be a hard pill to swallow, but it's true. His glory, his glory is more important. We're told in First Peter that our faith will be tested to see if it is in fact genuine. First Peter 1 six through seven says this, "In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We will suffer in some way, primarily because of our faith in Jesus. We need to find a way to look beyond our suffering so we can honor Jesus and glorify Him. Amen? So let's begin with point number one, the suffering of Job. We pick up the story. Actually, this is, this is where the story <laughs> begins, especially for Job, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 1, which, which begins with, now there was a day. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and sa- Satan also came among them. The the expression, the sons of God, identifies a group of individuals whose existence is a derivative of God. That's that's the the use of the word sons of God, but whose rank is superhuman. Um, In some uh, translations, they're translated, or in some interpretations, they're translated as angels. (coughs) Okay, Um, They form a divine council or heavenly cabinet. We see references to this in Psalm 82 and also in Psalm 86, like in verses 6 and 7, which reads, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings, uh, the ESV notes that as the sons of God, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones. And awesome above all who are around him. So God is supreme, but he has these this divine counsel. He uses them in his government. And Satan, or in some translations, it, it reads the the Satan as as a as a title, the, 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 which means the adversary or the accuser, which is what Satan is to Job and to us as well. Your adversary, it says in 1 Peter 5:8. Your adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. These beings come before or, pre- or present themselves before the Lord in this divine council. It's like the president of the United States gathering his, his senior staff, you know, on a daily or a weekly basis to find out what they're doing. You know, what's going on? And so that he can also give them instruction to go out and do their work, their various duties. So Satan is among them. He's, he's not barging in as if he were uh, uninvited. Some people take this text and they look at it and they say, Oh, God, you know, God is saying to Satan, uh, where have you come from? Like, well, what are you doing here? But that's not the case. See, Satan comes, he's he comes also among them. He's part of this divine council. Some may think that because Satan is evil, he cannot be a member of the, the group of this divine council, but that's not the case. He is simply a worker bee, a worker in God's government over the earth, albeit someone with superhuman powers. Now, I think Christopher Ashe says it well in his commentary on Job regarding the relationship between God and Satan. He says this, if you can put up the, the quote, the first quote, okay, he says, some will object that since God cannot look at or have fellowship with evil, Habakkuk 1.13, he cannot allow the Satan to be in his presence. But this is to confuse fellowship with government. God can have no fellowship with evil because he is pure light, and in, in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5 and 6. But he can use evil in his government of the world, and he does. His having business dealings, so to speak, with the Satan in the government of the world is not the same as suggesting that the Satan enjoys God's presence in the sense of his blessings. So he's there. He's in the presence of this divine council. He's giving his input. God is asking for his input, he's giving his input. And so God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he repeats what is said in the first verse. He says, you know, he says uh, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan does. He acknowledges them and says, yeah, okay, sure. But why does Job fear God? Is it because God is God, because God is worthy of his worship and loving obedience, or is there another reason? Satan's argument is that Job is pious because God has been generous to him. He's protected him from any harm. And actually, Satan brings up a solid point. He he is 100% correct in that we don't know. We don't know if Job... Truly honors God for who he is because he has, in fact, been protected and blessed, as Satan would argue. And in doing this, in making this argument, Satan is not not bullying God into doing anything. On the contrary, despite Satan's maliciousness, he is doing something that is necessary to the glory of God. All within God's sovereignty. And his eternal plan, it is necessary for the whole universe to see that God is worthy of worship. And Satan's request is a part of that plan to show that God is worthy because of who he is, the creator of all things, and not, not based on or dependent upon God's blessings. What we must not lose sight of here is that all of this, From beginning to end Is entirely part of God's eternal plan God is completely sovereign Satan is not goading God Into doing something to save face God God is not reacting to something That the adversary has sprung on him This is God The author of all things Using members of his government To make known his glory To make known God is giving his permission, not because, of, because God himself does not know whether Job's faith is genuine. He's doing it to make known what he already knows about Job. To make known to the world and to the universe that, that a man will worship God because he is worthy to be worshipped and not because of any gifts and blessings. And he happens to be using Satan in this case and in this story to make that known. You see, Satan cannot perform a bit of harm to Job without God's divine permission. And God gives it to him. Another quote from Christopher Ash. He says this about Satan and his ministry. If you could put up the, the next quote. Satan has a ministry. It is the ministry of opposition, the ministry of insisting that the genuineness of the believer be tested and proved genuine. It is a hostile and malicious ministry, but a necessary ministry for the glory of God. And I think Job lays that out for us. It is a ministry that, that Satan has. He says in his you know, uh, evasiveness of saying, oh, I'm just walking to and fro You know, he is being evasive like a teenager does when you ask him, what have you done all day? And they tell you, oh, just stuff, you know. But he's also telling us that he is busy. He's going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down it. He's busy because he has a job to do and he's doing his job. Satan doesn't believe Job is genuine. Satan doesn't believe Job is genuine. And so we go to verse 11, where he says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and I, I guarantee you he's going he's gonna to curse to your faith. Job doesn't believe he's genuine. And God says, okay. to show my, my worthiness, to show that I, I should be worshipped. I'm going to let you have Job, except don't, don't kill him. Don't take his life. You can have all that he owns, all that he has, right? And we pick up then in verse 13, where we go from the scene in heaven now to the scene on earth, where it says, Now there was a day. And this is the section where it talks about all, that, all the calamity that happens to, to Job. Now, Job is, you know, he's a, he's a rich man. He's living in prosperity. He's, he's having a good time. He's got no worries. He's probably sitting, having a cool drink, when all of a sudden somebody comes in to tell him about his, uh, what is it, his oxen and his donkeys and his servants all being uh, killed with the edge of the, of the sword and that this person alone has, has escaped to tell him. Now, before Job has an opportunity to get up and, 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 and ask questions and say, what what, 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 what went on? Another servant came while he was still speaking. The first guy, another one came and said, hey, I have come to tell you that, um, what is it, uh, a fire from God or lightning, essentially. fire from God fell from heaven. And burned up the sheep and the servants consumed them. So another, another calamity has come. And then, before he can even finish, a third comes in and and talks about the Chaldeans who formed up and raided his camels and took them and killed all his servants. And before that guy was done, a fourth comes in. And he says, your sons and daughters. behold a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house is to imply total devastation and the young people that were in it all died talk about going from good to bad to worse to worser to worserest And then the scene changes again. We go from earth now back to heaven, where it says, again, there was a day in chapter two. And chapter two is almost identical to the previous scene in heaven, where God, the sons of God and Satan are gathering now to present <laughs> themselves to the Lord. And and and, and God asks Satan, Where what have you where have you come from? And and Satan again tries to be elusive and says oh from going from here and there and so forth and none of your business whatever you know and, and then God says almost exactly the same thing but he adds to, to the last time he says this have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and, fe- and, and turns away from evil and then he says this he still after all that you've done to him he still holds fast his integrity. And so what does Satan say? Well, yeah, I mean, you try to take everything away from him, he'll he'll give it all up to protect his own life. But strike him himself, he says, and he'll curse you to your face. to surprise, God says, he's in your hand to spare his life. Now, the first time this happened, we read that, um, where is it? Um, so in verse 12, it reads, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then there was a time. We don't don't know how long occurred between that scene and the next scene on earth when it says, now there was a day when the sons and daughters were dining. Okay, so there was some time, there was a gap there. But in this instance, after after God says, He's in your hand only spare his life, it says in verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. It was immediate. There was no, and then there was a day. No, it was God giving him permission and Satan turning around, leaving the presence of God, and then striking Job. He couldn't wait to cause harm to Job so that he can prove to God that he wasn't going to honor and glorify him, that he was going to curse him to his face. Because Satan didn't believe that Job was genuine. So he struck him with sores from his head to his toes. To toe. But he's not done. We're not done. The story's not done. We look in verse 9 where it says, Then his wife... So his, his wife now comes in... Um, she hasn't been introduced yet, but she comes in and says this to him. Do you, still, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So how does he respond? Well, let's let's look at that. Let's look at point number two, Job's response. How does Job respond? How would you respond? How do you respond now to trials? How do you respond to calamity, to bouts of illness or hardships? How do you respond to bad news? Is it the same way when you receive good news? How do you respond when things aren't going your way? If you truly believe that God is sovereign, how do you respond to his good plan? If you're like me, oftentimes, maybe not not always, but oftentimes, I respond poorly. And looking back now, during the times I've responded poorly, it's usually because I've been more concerned about my comfort than about God's glory been more concerned about my comfort than God's glory so let's look briefly now at the two times that job responds in this part of the story first after all his possessions have been taken away how does he respond he's gone from owning all this livestock all his servants, all this land, and having all these beautiful children, all this wealth, to owning nothing at all. He went from having it all to having nothing, from being rich to being poor all in one day. And we know it was all happened in one day, but it's because each occurrence, each calamity that came up, came up while the first guy was speaking, still speaking, The second guy comes up, and then the third, and then the fourth. He didn't even have, Job didn't even have time to get up and ask questions. How would you respond? I imagine I would be speechless. I'd be in utter disbelief. To me, this would be too much to take in. All in one day. Maybe after a while, after I, I took some time to digest what just happened, I might start to ask questions like why? Why me? What did I do? What did I do to deserve this? This is not fair. I've been a good person. I've done what i was supposed to do as a Christian. I did nothing to deserve this. Notice the the anger in my voice, in my heart. Notice that I've immediately, maybe instinctively, made it about me. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? But not Job. Not Job. Chapter 1, verse 20, he says this. The word says this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. These are are signs of grieving, tearing one's heart, shaving one's head, you know, um, symbolizing um, being associated with death. And it says this. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. He didn't fall on the ground because he was grieving. He rose up, tore his robe, shaved his head. This is saying I'm grieving. Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to fall on the ground and I'm going to worship. And he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All this that has happened to him, and the words out of his mouth are, blessed be the name of the Lord. his response to this terrible loss is to first bless God who has given and has now seen fit to take away. He says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Neither did he sin or curse God. Instead, he worshiped and blessed God who God is, the creator of all things. his second response. The second response that Job has after the afflictions to his own body, to himself. Everything about Job is broken at this point. He's all alone, except for his wife, who now comes into the story. Job is afflicted with sores from head to toe. And his wife, like any spouse who has seen their loved one suffer so greatly, only wishes for his pain and suffering to end, and she pleads with him to curse God and die. They both know that cursing God is the path to guaranteed death. It's it's why Job was so adamant about performing sacrifices and praying for his children when they partied, because they may have, it says, they may have said something or f- to offend God, or and, and he wanted to cover their. Any sin in their heart. And we, don't, we don't know her motive. All we can assume is that this is a woman who no longer wants to see her husband suffer. But what she's actually doing is what Satan wants all along. And that is for Job to kill himself and thus forever. Leave us with the question, would have Job blessed God after losing everything? Did Job truly honor and worship God because he's worthy or only because of what he was blessed with? You see, what's at stake here is the glory of God. So Job must live. Job must live. Which he does. And his response to his wife is this, which is, which is a model of faith under trial. Something we should all practice. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Notice he didn't call her foolish. He said you speak as one of the foolish. How kind of him. How kind of him in this time of turmoil, in this time of grief, heartache. He is kind to his wife who says curse God and die. Are we kind to our loved ones when they utter something foolish? especially under duress like he was. Heck, I can be unkind when things are going well. And then he says something that is both profound and revealing of his true and unwavering wavering character. His next words are, are not self-centered or self-focused, but inclusive. He says this shall we, shall we, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? The concept of receive in this case is to accept humbling, bowing beneath God's good and loving providence, to accept his good plan. When things aren't going my way, this this verse would be good to remember. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil or the bad? Maybe even better is to phrase it this way. Shall I receive only the good from God and not the stuff that I think is bad? Job's responses are good for us to model under trials as well as under blessings. Not for our benefit as if responding this way will merit some kind of favor, but but as a way to honor and glorify God because he deserves to be glorified. He is the one who is God, the creator of all things. And the greatest thing he has given to us is his son. Next week, we're going to look at how the story of Job, his suffering and his restoration is but a shadow of what Jesus Christ obtained for us through the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God. creator of all things. The one who has laid out a plan for each and every one of us. And in that plan was your son. Who died on the cross for us. Individually and wholly. We thank you, Father. We look forward to hearing more from you, Father God, on this concept of looking beyond our suffering so that we may glorify and honor you because it is what you deserve, because you are God. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.